0: Our sermon time today is a multi-sensory experience. So in order to do this, we have to pay attention to some of the instructions. (laughs) First, we're going to listen to a clip from a podcast, Ask Science Mike. And for those of you who may remember, I think Joe has used some of his uh, information or podcasts in some of our um, times at church before. Mike McArgue gives us an introduction and background to visual and experience-based prayer. And then, um, after we watch, I think it's about an eight-minute clip, uh, we're going to try out one of the experiences that he mentions with a a five-minutes-of-a-candle prayer. So now you might be thinking, oh, that's why those candles are on our chairs. You're right. So rather than a person here at the pulpit most of our guidance will be coming from this screen. Once we watch the first eight-minute clip, then I'll come up with some further instructions. So we're going to begin first with Mike, and he's answering a question that is asked by the audience. One time you mentioned on the podcast that Eastern religions involve praying visually, whereas in Western religions we're all about praying, like, with language. Yes. And I had never heard of that until now, so I just would like to know more about that, both neurologically and, like, how to practically apply it? Thanks.
1: Okay. Uh, Christianity didn't start as a Western religion at all. Uh, I just came back from Israel. I just experienced this firsthand, and it put a, a flesh on an academic knowledge that I had. So in the East, in China, in Japan, in the East, contemplation of God was not considered a logical rhetorical activity. It wasn't centered around understanding. It was centered around experience. So words that were used were used as mantras to help you find a different state, and also visualization exercises, visualizing a flame, watching a candle, these sorts of things, were prayer exercises. The idea of, like, talking to God, like, verbally, it wasn't heresy. It had just never been done. Then you get this this very mid-Eastern religion, Judaism, that does incorporate spoken prayers to God, but still has this mystical, numinous aspect. Um, And later, you have this weird offshoot of Judaism centered around one rabbi (laughs) who his followers say came back from the dead. And the first people to take up that religion, we understand historically, were probably Jewish. And then people in those towns. So I was... Uh, in Galilee, and I was in Bethlehem, and I was in Jerusalem, and you go into these orthodox churches, and they're set up like the temple. There's a wall, and there's a curtain, just like there was in the temple, only now the curtain has Jesus on it, because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and the altar's on the other side of the curtain. And the spaces are designed for contemplation. And the ritual is designed around a liturgy, a repetition. There's no original, somebody, here's my thoughts on this. (laughs) It's this very Eastern style. So then uh, there's this thing called the Great Schism. Don't know if you've heard of it. It's the first church split. We started early. And (laughs) effectively, these people in Greek culture invented this thinking tool called logic. And then these other people called the Romans got really excited about it. And the Romans started to use logic to define theology. And the Greeks said, hold on, that's blasphemy. We invented logic, and it's not meant to be used to encounter God. And this tension of uh, dogma, which wasn't a slam like we use today, it was a way of knowing, a way of experiencing, versus the kerygma, the logical analysis in the Roman church, was one of the wedges that started the Great Schism. So then you have someone like me who's come through a tradition that's the most radical possible iteration of that logic to God school of thought, because you have the Roman Catholics that then go to Luther and the Protestant Reformation, that then goes to these Dutch and German philosophers that makes God increasingly a list of propositions. And then at some point, your propositions don't describe reality enough, don't describe God well enough, and God dies. That's what happened to me. I uh, protestanted my God to death. <laughs> and... As I've come back to faith, the theology, theologians I've enjoyed the most have actually been orthodox because they speak of a God who is experienced and loved. So I read, there's a, a book called the Philoklia. I'm just translating that horribly wrong. So a set of writings from uh, Greek desert fathers in the third to sixth centuries. And there was this one line that just knocked me out. It said that I can never know God. To know God is a blasphemy because it's to make God small enough to fit within me. But I can love God and through the love, find a knowing. Now my inner atheist goes, hey, that doesn't make any sense. And my inner Christian goes, Why not try it? And what I've found today is the prayers that make me feel most connected to God are not verbal in nature. It is a still sitting in God's presence. So if you'd like to try a really simple Orthodox Christian, this is not a New Age thing. Uh, People were doing this before there was a Roman Catholic Pope and certainly before we Protestants got started. Uh, If anybody is doing something outside of tradition, it's us. But take a candle, just like a candle, light the candle and sit in its presence in an otherwise dark room and look into it and have it be the focus of your prayer. Your prayer at first is to realize like the candle, your light is not eternal. So you contemplate your mortality, but then you imagine that the source of that light is not the candle. The source of the light comes from somewhere else. And so you imagine that light as the warmth and grace of God, and then your mind simply moves toward that light in gratitude. That sounds really weird for most Western Christians, until you do it about three times, and you sit alone in a room with a candle, and you feel that presence, and you love that presence, and sometimes I weep. And later, when my modernist, skeptical brain goes, well, that was just a neurological response to stillness and light. I go, listen, I love God, and through that love, I found some knowing. And it's not, it's not a knowing you're ever going to understand. And you just talk to yourself, and you seem a little crazy. <laughs> but somehow, it's beautiful. And I wonder, you know, I, I walked up to the Western Wall at the Temple Mount, And as I walk up to the Western Wall, my Western atheist is just like, this is ridiculous, all these people fighting over this irrelevant patch of soil. This is so stupid. And I have like a head covering on, (laughs) and I feel weird about that, but you have to to be at this holy site. And you reach out, and you touch that wall, and all that conditioning from contemplative prayer comes back, and suddenly you just get it. You get how somehow this is a a thin place. Somehow people ascribe the presence of God to this spot and this moment. Or, thank goodness I'd studied contemplative prayer because I sat in Elijah's cave on a Tuesday morning and did a centering prayer around fire, wind, and silence in the room (laughs) where Elijah is believed to have sat and encountered God. And I don't care how factual that story is because I'm sitting in this cave and just receiving a grace and that's the difference the difference is it's not an intellectual mastery but a surrender to an acceptance of divine love and grace
0: so hopefully we listen to uh, some of the instructions there and if not I will give you further instructions and we will have more so don't panic if you're like Denise I blanked out at some point that's okay we can still participate So, as mentioned before, you should have found the candle at your seat when you arrived, so please um, get those candles out. If you don't have one, please let somebody know. I think there's ones on different chairs if you don't have one. I think we're good. Okay. A candle prayer is a quiet, centering prayer that invites us to focus on the particular time and space right in front of us. We will first light our candles by passing the flame around the room, person to person. Then we will take five minutes of quiet, unspoken prayer. There are a few simple options. One is to just look at the candle, focus on the flame. No objective, just pay attention to the flame. And when you notice your thoughts drift elsewhere, just bring them back to the flame. If you like, you could also choose a word to focus on, like light, or flame, or spirit. Again, as your thoughts start to go off on their own, that's okay. Just bring them back to touch base with that word that you've chosen. And finally, if you'd like a little bit more content, on the screen there will be some words from the John 9 scripture. And you can listen to those and see where they take you. With all of these, there is no particular thing that you are meant to think about. No conclusion that you're trying to reach. We're just practicing being present in our bodies here in this space and in the company of these sacred people. So let's turn off the lights and we will help to light some of the candles. If you'd like, maybe the front row, come and light your candles here and then we'll pass our ways around. Thank you. Let's
1: begin with a spoken prayer. Illuminating God, be our light in this moment, that we might see and know enough for today. What we see changes our perception and drives our direction. What we see colors our creative and collaborative spirit. What we see calls that which is shadow into the light. What we see is born of God. Open our eyes, hearts, minds, and spirits. Illuminating God, you are our light in every moment, that we might see and know enough for every day. May your vision change our perception and drive our direction. May your vision colour our creative and collaborative spirit. May your vision call that which is shadow into the light. May your vision be reborn and renewed in us always. Open our eyes, hearts, minds, and spirits. Amen.